So I said all that to say you're more than welcome to come. The door will be open and the house is clean and you can sit down and we can talk. I'd love it. Last week, I said that <clears throat> I didn't want to get into any background. I just wanted to get into the heart of the message and that's what we did. But this week, we have a little background to the background. <laughs> so if you can bear with me a bit. I did just a little bit of research about some of the holy days, so-called holy days that we hear about, called Ash Wednesday and the Lenten season or Lent, which are observed in more of the liturgical churches, what we would call liturgical, which means basically that the people do work. The people have a duty to do in the service. Catholics and uh, Lutherans, Anglicans, all of those observe these days much more so than the mainstream Protestant organizations do, and way more and much less so, I should say, in Pentecostal churches. So it, it, something came to my attention that caused me to look at this, and a few of the reasons for these wide uh, spread of, you know, variances includes what I've heard most of my life and probably what you have also, is that we don't observe those days because they are man-made days made by the Catholic Church and instituted by them. <clears throat> and that's why that sort of genre of, uh, of organizations follow those days, and also because they were man-made, they are not in the canon of scripture that we follow to be observed. So we don't find it necessary to observe those days. However, there are some days that we traditionally do observe, at least on some level, Palm Sunday. We certainly always do mention Palm Sunday and have for as long as I can remember. Easter and even Christmas are not days that are given in the Bible as these should be observed, but we traditionally do because we feel they're relevant to our walk with the Lord and they represent what our spirits praise and lift up and call out to in our Christian walk, the birth of Jesus and the resurrection, of course, of him. However, this division in the observances of these, day, of these days seem to be changing. And this is what I just wanted to mention this morning. This is not my message. I'll be getting into that in just a moment. But I wanted to give this. I found it also interesting that in 2004, with the release of the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that many mainstream denominations, even Pentecostal churches began paying attention to these days and began mentioning them and even observing them <clears throat> that traditionally had been passed by. For instance, the observance of Ash Wednesday and Lent are designated as days of abstinence from something. Could be food or television or something of that nature. And they're intended to be days set aside for re reflection 
on the Lord and commemoration of Jesus' 40 days of fasting in the desert, <clears throat> I'm hearing a trend that is happening in certain, uh, certainly not only me hearing this, I'm hearing it from others that I listen to and I have noticed it in their services. So now the observance of these days is not the point of my message, as I said, not by a long shot. But I do think it's worth understanding a little bit about it and bringing up the fact that it does seem to be changing. I personally don't think that it's right or wrong to observe these days. I really don't. I think that it doesn't hurt us to know about them and understand them a little bit. And I do agree that it's more of a personal choice. I'm certainly not here telling you, we're gonna observe all these days. No, 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 that's not what I'm here telling you. What I'm telling you is I'm hearing a trend of change about this, and I think it's interesting. I heard a, a musician that I listened to, Pentecostal man, absolutely phenomenal pianist, I absolutely love to listen to him. Sometimes the tears will just pour from the anointing that comes out of his fingers. And I was listening to him, I believe Wednesday night, and he stopped playing and he turned to the camera and he said, folks, I just wanna tell you something. He said, if you were raised in a traditional Pentecostal church like I was, you probably don't even know what Ash Wednesday is or what Lent is. But he said, I'm gonna tell you something. The Lord has drawn me into a time of reflection with him and a time of setting aside some things that I don't need to be doing. They're not hurtful, but they're not necessary. And he said, I've been spending that time with the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> And he said, I have been so blessed by doing this, and I just wanted to let you know, because we are in this period of time between Ash Wednesday and Easter, that's the Lent period, that's where we are at this time. And I was taken by this. I thought that it was very interesting that somebody from a similar background as me has been drawn by the Lord to this at this time. And I just wanted to mention that to you in case you've heard it too, that it is becoming more of a trend in our own circles. And I, for one, don't feel compelled at this point, but who knows by what might happen next year at this time that the Lord would lead us individually or corporately to observe something like this. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And I'm gonna get into my message, as I said, it's very short, we'll be, we'll be out of here right on time. I hope that's okay if, if I shared that, uh, that, that thought with you this morning. I would call this message, what happens when the wrong man is in power or maybe more appropriately, God is not bound, not even by the king's decree. So now a little bit more background. In the book of Esther, Audrey, you're right on, we read about another celebration, 
But this is not a Christian holy day. This is a Jewish celebration, and it is called Purim. It is a compound word, and pur, P-U-R, means to cast lots or throw dice. And the plural form, Purim, I-M, is the plural of the poor. So it's Purim, that's where we get the word. And it is celebrated yet today on every Jewish calendar, and it falls in the late winter and early springtime. And this year, in 2022, it occurred March 16th through the 17th. And as you know, Jewish, Jewish holidays begin in the evening and go to the next evening, or however many days is designated. So this happened just 10, years, 10 days or so ago. The celebration of Purim commemorates the day that the Jews' lives were spared by the courageous and heroic acts of both Mordecai the Jew, that's how the Bible refers to him a bunch of times in the book of Esther, Mordecai the Jew, and Queen Esther who was orphaned at birth and Mordecai was Esther's cousin, whom the Bible says he raised as his own daughter in Persia. The Bible says that Haman, who was King Ahasuerus's right-hand man, now Ahasuerus is how it's written in Hebrew language in the Old Testament, but he's called Xerxes in Persian. So if you see that X-E-R-X-E-S, in Persian, it's the same pers person. Neither one of them are easy to say. <laughs> but he was the king's right-hand man, Haman. And the Bible says that he was a noted Jew hater. And after the king's wife, Vashti, disobeyed the king and was put to death, Haman arranged a beauty contest to find a new wife for the king, and Esther was chosen out of all the beautiful maidens in the land, as you know. In Esther chapter 9, we're told that for a period of 12 months, Haman the Agagite, Agag, Agagite, uh, who was a descendant of King Agog, who was an Amalekite. Now, this is going to play a big role. He led the Romans to cast the lots to determine when they would annihilate the Jews. Not if, but when. And the Bible says that Haman was a Jew hater. So this is significant in Bible prophecy because in Exodus chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial and put it in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
Those wars with Amalek were waged throughout all the generations, just as God said they would be. In Judges, God used the left-handed judge, Ehud, who waged war with the evil king Eglon by hiding a double-edged sword in his left hand under his cloak because Ehud was left-handed. And if you remember, King, king uh, Eglon was very fat. And when Ehud thrust in the sword, it went in so far into his belly that he had to pull his hand out with the sword. Then, in the book of Judges, Deborah's military captain named Barak waged war against the general Sisera. And you remember Deborah's friend Jael ran a tent stake through Sisera's head and thereby captured the Amalekites. Next was Gideon. God used him and only 300 men that he permitted to fight to conquer that band of Amalekites. And King Saul captured the king Agag. Though he let Agag live, he destroyed all of the Amalekite armies. And King David rescued the stolen women and children and destroyed the Amalekites at Ziklag. And finally, God's promise to eliminate them all from under the heaven as he had promised in, in Exodus was completed by Simeon in the days of the prophet Hezekiah. We find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 42. It says that Simeon and his army destroyed the remnant of the Amalekites, thus fulfilling that promise and that prophecy in the book of Exodus, as well as many other places that it's written throughout the Bible. So this is who we're dealing with, who Haman was. Not only a Jew hater, but a God hater. An evil, puffed up, arrogant, de deviant, who devised an awful plan to destroy the Jews. But God said, they cannot remain on the earth. And then you know the story, Mordecai wouldn't bow the knee to worship the evil Haman, as Haman set up in all of the land, and Haman couldn't stand it. So he deceived the king, Ahasuerus, into issuing a decree and stamped with his own signet ring to enable Haman to carry out his evil plan of death for the Jews. But one night, the king couldn't sleep, and he called the record bearers. God said, put it down in a book. And here, the king's dealings were in a book. And he called the record keepers and he said, remember in, I said, remember in Exodus when God said, put it in a book. Well, the king found out that someone had saved his life and it hadn't been reported to the king and he wanted to know who it was. And of course, it was Mordecai. But nothing had been done to honor him, so the king set about using Haman to set up a completely uh, a program to honor the one whom the king delighted. And he never spoke the name of the person 
to whom he was going to bestow this honor. And of course, Haman being the person he was, assumed that he was to be honored. But the decree issued by the king, formerly to Haman, to carry out the death was already set in motion. And Mordecai told Esther, oh, how do you know, but for such a time as this, you were called to this kingdom. And Mordecai told Esther, if you don't risk your life and go before the king, even though you weren't invited, you're going to surely die with all the rest of us. And Queen Esther said, you're right, Mordecai, I will do it. But she called a three-day fast and approached the king after the three days of fasting. And the king found favor in her. And she set up, God gave Esther a plan to set up a series of banquets on which Haman's plan would be exposed to all the people and the king. And so it was that Haman was caught red-handed in the middle of his plot, almost ready to kill the Jews, which would have included the queen. You know the story. So in the end, the king was furious that he'd been used and duped and deceived by the evil Haman. And he ordered that Haman be hung on the very gallows that Haman had built to, ex to execute Mordecai the Jew. In Esther chapter 8, 7 through 8, you might want to turn there. The last three chapters, of, or two chapters, 8, 9, and 10, oh, that's three, uh, are just beautiful. It says that God made a way for the king's decree to be reversed. Then King Ahasuerus said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I've given Esther the house of Haman, and him have they hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also, this is directed to Mordecai, write ye also for the Jews, however you choose. The Bible, the King James says, as it liketh you, however you want to do it in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring which he had removed from Haman's hand and given to Mordecai for the writing which is written in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring so that no man can reverse it. Amen. God prophesied that the Amalekites would be destroyed from generation to generation and now it was Haman's turn. The king gave the Jews, through written decree by Mordecai and Queen Esther, rule over all their enemies in all 127 provinces of his reign in Persia. And the Bible says that Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went throughout all the provinces, for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. And the last two chapters, Esther 8 and 9, I'll just paraphrase in a couple of sentences. The king said to Esther his queen, the Jews have slain five, excuse me, 500 men in Shushan, the palace 
and another 75,000 in other provinces, but they've spoiled none of them. And of those who would seek to kill them, including the ten sons of Haman, now, Queen Esther, what is your request? And it surely shall be done for you. And Esther requested this, a letter of decree by the king, that these two days in late winter and early spring, called Purim, would be set in motion for all generations to celebrate God's miraculous deliverance and the sparing of their lives. And Mordecai the Jew was next to the king and was great among the Jews and was accepted of all the multitude of his brethren, seeking for wealth for his people and speaking peace to all his seed. And in closing, it's said that Hitler and Haman were two of a kind, Satan's right-hand instruments of evil. And it was to attempt to prove God a liar by wiping out the Jews. But both men failed and God prevailed. Yes, many lost their lives, and we don't understand that, and we, we hate to hear that, and we see that in the Ukraine today. We have to talk it over with him when we get there because we don't understand those things. But we know this. God's word never, never fails. And the Message Bible says it this way in Numbers 23:19. God is not a man given to lies, and he's not the son of a man who changes his mind all the time. Does he speak and not do what he says? Does he promise and not come through? Nay. God brings justice and judgment where it's warranted and where he decrees, and he blesses without measure where he wills. And I think Ecclesiastes 12, 14 brings it all home. For God will bring every deed into judgment, along with every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Will you stand with me? Father, we know that this has been a different message today. But we acknowledge, oh God, we acknowledge, Lord, your supremacy. We acknowledge, Lord, that you have a plan from the beginning of time and that we're a very small piece of that plan and you see the end from the beginning. Oh God, we put our trust in you. Have your own way in us, Lord, and be that that influence over us of absolute sway. Oh God, I want all of the rooms of my heart to be open to you. I want nothing left behind that you can't touch, Lord, that I say, oh no, I want to keep this or I want to keep that. Oh God, let us be open books. Let us be open into the Holy Spirit and the pen that you use, Lord, to write our affairs of our lives in the book of remembrance, O oh God, that we be pure and holy. 
Thank you, Lord, for preserving the Jews. Thank you, Lord, for delivering them and for giving them this days of, cel of celebration, Lord, Purim. And I pray that you would bless Israel today. Oh, God, I can't help but believe that all of this going on has something to do with Israel. And I pray your presence. I pray your hand of protection, oh God, over them today, just as I do over every one of our congregation this morning, Lord. Your hand of safety, your hand of protection, your hand of healing, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you would touch Becky right now in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would make her entirely and completely whole in your name. Oh, Father, I thank you for your presence among us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would deal with hearts who don't know you. Draw them to you, Lord Jesus, with a drawing power of the Holy Spirit that they cannot resist. In the name of Jesus, the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Don, you can come and finish up. Thank you for your attention. I hope it was, I know it was a little different, but hopefully we'll all survive. <laughs> okay. It was an ordained topic today. I was at, this morning, it, it, um, I was thinking of the story of Esther uh, and, and the order of the king uh, by Haman. Um, we read this story at Purim this, this year. Uh, I think we've done this maybe last couple of years in a row. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of exciting stories in the Bible, but there might not be a more made-for-the-movie story than this one because it has got intrigue and double-crossing and trickery of all sorts. Um, but if I'm reading it correctly, the order that was sent by Haman... Esther asked for the king to reverse that order, but that's not what he did. He said, you may write your own, but the order of the king sealed with the signet ring cannot be revoked. So he didn't, they didn't simply say this order revokes the prior order. They said that the Jews could defend themselves. They could assemble and defend themselves against any enemy that might attack them. And if you read it, they took that pretty literally and I'd say uh, liberally, and they went and attacked. Off they went on the offense instead of waiting on the defense to be killed. And what hit me this morning was when, we, when man sinned, God did not revoke his law. He didn't because it couldn't be revoked. He didn't say, my creation has fallen short, I will canceled my law to make an exception for man. His law was so perfect and concrete, there was no revoking it. It's who he is, it's truth, it's justice, it's who he is. He had to send his son. I mean, there was no revoking of his initial law and order. It was another act to overcome what man had done to overcome sin. And so I was thinking of that this morning, uh, just before service. And as Audrey was singing this morning, 
And she, before she mentioned the reference to Esther, um, which I don't think she knew mom's topic today, uh, before she mentioned that, I was thinking, God, there's so many things I want you to do soon, now, things I want to see happen now. And even before she mentioned that, coming before the king and having the scepter uh, lowered towards Esther to say, you can speak, you can stay, um, you're invited, I thought, or the Lord impressed upon me that we shouldn't interpret his compassion and acceptance of us into his court as taking anything away from his sovereignty. Just because we have the pleasure and privilege to be in his presence, he is still king. He's king over time and events and governments and other kings of the earth and every circumstance in our lives. So we all want things done on our timetable and in our way, but we are not king. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have that sovereign authority or we'd mess it up and send things. We see <laughs> when, when man gets a little too much power, we see the messes that are made and, and, and it's for the Lord, for our king to undo those things. But uh, just a timely message today and uh, certainly, certainly inspired. Mom has asked if anyone has any comments or thoughts on the holidays or the holy days that she referenced. I'll, I'll only say that I have a book by C.S. Lewis that is, uh, in, I think Audrey gave it to me, and it might be called something like In Preparation for Easter. And without recognition of like Ash Wednesday or these dates that predate Easter, I always pick this book up just a few days before Easter and realize that's not enough time uh, to get through this book of preparation for Easter. It would require uh, more than a week, maybe, maybe a couple, but that's maybe appropriate to prepare for Easter and to prepare our hearts. And it, it can become, you know, just a, a one-day thing. You know, we, we, we wear something nice and we come and we honor God on that day, but it, can all, it could also be something we consider for weeks in advance. Um, every year because it's that significant. Um, we don't, by tradition, make days, um, you know, holy days, so to speak, it, but it, it, there's nothing wrong with um, repeatedly honoring the holiness of what he's done. And uh, whether on a day or weeks or months in advance, um, I think I've got enough heads up to start my book in time before uh, Easter this year. Any other comments on... on uh... I'm just like staring at you and smiling at you because if he wasn't going to say what he just said, I was going on about my heart, and I'm just staring at him. And so, because and, I said, I was thinking, somebody, you know, highlight this part about the correlation between God's, God said, hey, if, if you eat of this fruit, will die and and it wasn't even immediate like they ended up living a thousand like or close to a thousand years and uh but that is true he they, they died and all of us have died ever since that cannot be reversed that is still the law like we will all we all have appointed time to die but jesus came and then we can go 
on beyond that to live with God and the king. And so that was like the same parallel that I was thinking. And I just thought, well, um, he's bearing, uh, you know, there's three, two to three, wit three witnesses is, is like a, a testimony. And two or three witnesses. Yes. And so I'm like, God is really trying to tell us, focus on Esther right now. <laughs> I did see you smiling. I thought you liked my shirt or something today, so. Any other comments, thoughts? Sister Barbara. Yeah, I was raised a Catholic, and I mean, it was strict. Following uh, Lent, Nash Wednesday, all that, you get into works. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So making sure I, what I'm doing, instead of really recognizing what Jesus has already done on the cross. And to me, I'm weary of it for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I just could never go back to. And anything that anything can become a routine and lose its meaning. Um, but I meant we did it when you had to do it. No being on Friday. Uh, it was just works, works. And all they said here to reflect, those people were, I couldn't. I mean, myself, <laughs> always making sure, am I doing this today or that? And I think in everything, like you say, we can make a and it's it's scriptural that we don't make a day holy you know and we you know it's not vain repetition and routine but we can give meaning to the observance Mm -hmm. Oh, I never, I never advise not eating meat. Oh, I don't know. I'm just expressing where I came from. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's just freedom in the Lord. Amen. Really and the message of the gospel, and that's it. <laughs> Can't add to it. Amen. Any others? We are dismissed. Thank you.